you want to go to 1 Peter chapter 3, that's where we're going to be this evening. Even before, you can go to the next slide, even before, uh, like early December, we, we planned out kind of where we felt like God was leading us these first few weeks of, of January, first few weeks of 2022. Um, and we really felt like we wanted to spend a few weeks just thinking about how, how do we declare the gospel into specific areas of life. Um, one, of our, one of our priorities, uh, we, we kind of labeled it as a church, one of our church priorities is transformative cultural engagement. And those are big, vague words, but the way that we define transformative cultural engagement is, is this. It's that we believe the gospel is good news for everyday life and for every cultural moment. And so we want to pursue declaring the gospel into areas of our own personal unbelief and other people's personal unbelief and also areas of cultural division. We want to strive to display the gospel by engaging biblical justice and pursuing the poor and helpless and marginalized. Um, and that's what we wanted to spend January on. And, and, and what we had planned to do in early December is go, okay, there's, there's a few specific aspects of life and go, how, how can the gospel sound like good news in these aspects of life? And the first one that we planned for tonight um, is how's the gospel good news in our suffering? Um, and, and even in saying that, I want to acknowledge, like, that can sound really trite. And, and so I want to invite you to kind of, like, stick with me on that. Good news and suffering don't often sound like they fit in the same sentence. And, uh, and yet if we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a real thing, the word gospel literally means good news. And, and, and so I want us to, to stick with this theme. It just feels a lot more overt uh, tonight than, than when we planned this in early December, that this is one of the the topics that we wanted to think about, how, how is there good news in this? Um, I just want to pray, and I want to read First Peter 3, and uh, as I read it, I would love you to pay attention to the do's and don'ts of the verses, and, and, and then remember that what Peter's writing to in these verses are people who are suffering. So Father, would you meet us in this, and would you... Guide us from your word and by your spirit um, in this topic for, for all of our life and all of our suffering, and, and especially in this moment as a church family. Would you be our teacher tonight for your son's glory? Amen. All right, so what are the do's and don'ts that we're called to, even in suffering? First Peter 3, starting in verse 8. God writes through his servant, Peter, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, Brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you are called that you may attain a blessing. For, he's quoting here, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let that person turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And Peter writes, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. 
Have no fear of them, them as the folks who cause suffering. Have no fear of those who cause suffering, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ Jesus as Lord, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. But do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will than for doing evil. All right. There's enough of us in here where this will feel a little bit like a, a Bible study, so let's all talk and, and have a little bit of conversation uh, together. What are, what are some of the things that we're called to do and not do, that God calls his people to do and not do in these verses? What stood out? Have unity. What else? Bless others and do not return evil for evil. Yeah, so there's a do and a don't. Bless others and don't return evil for evil. What else? Be humble. Be humble. Seek peace. Seek peace. Do not fear, do not be troubled is in there. Be prepared to give a defense for the hope that's within you. Have a tender heart. Have a tender heart. And, and there's there's more. And, and and if I'm reading this, and if we're reading this, like that's a lot of commands. That's a lot of do this and, and a few less, but still some some don't do this is. And um, as you read these, as you hear these, like does it feel impossible to do these? Like even in the best of moments, to be like, oh, I've got to remember. I think there's like 15 in these, in these short verses, 15 things to do and not do. And, and it, passages like this can feel a little bit overwhelming. They can feel like, man, there's a lot to do, a lot of check, check boxes to, to check and this kind of stuff. And then on top of that, the situation that Peter's writing to is folks who are facing specific persecution and suffering as they try to live out their faith, as they try to live out their faith in Christ. The, those who are suffering for righteousness's sake is who he's writing to. So, so in other words, what he's saying is do this, don't do this when you're suffering. Do this, don't do this when you're suffering for the name of Jesus. Do this, don't do this, even in the midst of folks who are causing you suffering. And, and if I'm honest, my, my plan for today, when we had set these verses, when we felt like God was talking to, to, to us about talking to, with, as a family about good news and suffering, um, I really wanted to camp out on verse 15, um, which says, be prepared to give a defense for the hope that's within you, but do so with gentleness and respect. And I think that's what God's inviting us into, but I think what I'd missed in, in prepping and planning is, is the broader context in which God is inviting us to, to, to live as a people of hope. Like, that's one of those verses that kind of gets thrown around, like, be able to defend your faith, you know, in the same way the Great Commission or, or Jeremiah 29 does, that God has good plans for you. So, so it's an easy verse to pull out and be like, be ready to defend your faith. Do so, do so with gentleness and respect. Like, those are good things, but this is, this is written to folks who are facing very real pain and very real suffering. And I think that God knew that this is the first passage that our church needed to dwell in this year. And he's inviting us to ask, how do we live as a people of hope specifically in the midst of pain and suffering? 
And I want to acknowledge, I'd be remiss if I didn't. Like, there's people who are suffering literally for the name of Jesus around the world today. Um, and that is real. And, and that is not something that we experience often, if ever, in, in our context, maybe in some families. But there's, there's overt oppression even this week in some places. And I don't want to minimize that at all. Um, but at the same time, it doesn't have to be either or. It's a both and. I would wager that everyone in this room has some friend or family member or neighbor who is feeling some sort of suffering and pain. And I would wager that most everyone in this room, yourself, is feeling some sort of suffering and pain. Um, People are sick and people are fearful of becoming sick or of those who are sick or a billion other things they feel fearful for. I feel like half the people that I've ever met in my life got COVID over Christmas and all of the people that I've met in my life are weary of hearing that word as we enter into the third year of this thing. Emotions are all over the place as far as kids' safety and parents' safety and cultural division. Even something as simple as the weight of canceled or changed holiday plans that a lot of folks put a lot of excitement into as we ended a hard year that, again, tons of folks got changed and shifted. It doesn't feel big in comparison to other things, but it's, it's not what we expected. It's hard. So many folks have lost someone this year, whether for health reasons or, quote-unquote, natural age reasons or accidents. Um, what Rebecca just shared of, of her family is, is, is layers upon layers of physical and emotional and spiritual and mental and other kinds of very real and very deep pain. And, and many of us have and will feel, that have felt and will feel that with them as we step into our, our biblical joyful duty of weeping with those who weep and bearing burdens with the shingle-deckers. And I'm, I'm curious to know if anyone's willing to share something else that's going on in your life that's some form of suffering and pain, whether you personally today or, or that someone in your friend, family, neighbor circle is experiencing. Anything? It's a weird on-the-spot question, but all day today I was like, you need to ask this question. So I don't know why, but I'm asking anybody facing some other form of suffering and pain. That's real. Yeah. Sharp and grieving with him, and so 
Yeah. Thank you. Like, neither of those are, like, torture, persecution. But, but here, here's the, like, comparison is a dangerous game in suffering. And I think we're taught to compare our, quote-unquote, minor suffering to others' major suffering. That's, that's, it's, a, it's a dangerous game. Suffering and pain are real. And I think they're far more common than especially those of us who claim to follow Jesus are willing to let on. I think we're instead taught to stuff it and go, well, God is good, therefore I'm not allowed to suffer. And that's not how God designed the world. Um, If we compare to what we perceive to be some greater suffering, like we're minimizing very real brokenness, and brokenness is not meant to be. And we're minimizing very real suffering, and suffering was never meant to be. And and if we minimize it and fail to acknowledge it, I I think this, this is part of the deceiver's falsehood and lie that he bears into us to say you can handle yourself you can handle yourself whereas the whole Christian message is no you can't that you need God and you need others and I want to ask what would it be like instead of minimizing it and downplaying whatever suffering and pain what would it look like for us to instead call it what it is acknowledge that it's real And instead, bring it to God and ask him to meet us in the midst of that suffering and pain. Because we know the famous psalm that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. And I think we have a view of God a lot of times that says, once you get get through the valley and up to the mountain, then I'll meet you there. And that's not who God is. He's the God who walks with us in the darkest of moments. And I wonder if when we stuff it or pretend or minimize that suffering and pain is real, I wonder if we miss an opportunity to be with Jesus. Because his comfort that leads to a peace beyond understanding, it's his presence that leads us to hope. Or what would it look like to call suffering what it is and acknowledge that it's real and then ask God in that moment to teach us how to suffer differently than the unbelieving world around us. Paul, in another New Testament letter, reminds followers of Jesus and Thessalonians that we grieve as those with hope. And if that verse is true, and it's in the Bible, so we hold that it is, then both halves of that verse are equally true, that God invites us to grieve. We grieve as those with hope. But also we grieve as those with hope. God invites us into something that is different than the world around us. Um, I've told Rebecca this. We are sitting on the floor of the hospital hallway Friday night, and I told her that her Facebook posts have been a really beautiful picture of this. Of not downplaying grief for the sake of just hope, but not not downplaying hope for the sake of just grief. And one thing she said to me, she's as we were sitting there on the hospital floor, I asked her if I could share this. She said yes. And she shared a little bit of it. She said, I'm really jealous of Roger right now. 
she just mused for a minute about what, what, what must he be experiencing? And she goes, because whatever it is, it's better than this. And there's so much grief. And that's such a hopeful statement. And the one truth that frees us to suffer differently than the rest of the world is what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, that can sound trite, but it is our only hope. Like, the gospel means good news, and so the gospel, the good news, as it was originally understood, and I don't know if we, I don't know if we understand it as well today as, as Jesus' first followers did, but as it was originally understood, the, the gospel mattered to all of life. And it changed our perspective on every situation, and even on suffering, and yes, even in death. And so when we say we live in a better kingdom, and we say our faith is in Jesus, then what we're saying is Jesus is the one reason for the hope that's within you, to go back to how Peter says it. What's, what's the reason for the hope that's within us? It's, it's Jesus. But to know why Jesus is the hope that's within us, to even be able to say the word good news as it relates to suffering, we have to know what, what that gospel is. And I think a lot of us know intellectually that the gospel is supposed to be good news, but if you were asked how is it good news, would a lot of us just kind of go wide-eyed and be like, I, I don't know. For a lot of us, if we thought of what good news and suffering would be, it would be like not suffering. It would be avoiding pain. That would be good news. Living a long, happy life with zero hospital visits ever, that, that would be good news. If God is good, nothing bad would ever happen to me. That would be good news, is, is a lot of the perception. And that would be like Jesus in, in the garden. I was talking to the Tatums earlier. I think Matt reminded me of this. That would be like Jesus in the garden saying, Father, would you take this cup, and automatically expecting the answer to have to be, yeah. Yeah, I will. You don't have to suffer. So we put like suffering over here and we keep Jesus over there somehow and we separate the two and we disconnect the good news of Jesus from our pain and our suffering. And I think it's because the majority view of the gospel in our culture today is that the gospel was this thing that happened a long time in the past, a long time ago in the past, that greatly benefits my future. And that's all it is. Jesus died a long time ago. I don't have to go to hell. Jesus died and rose. I get to go to heaven. And if that's all the gospel is, then it's not a ton of hope today. Maybe hope for Roger, where he's at now, but it's not a lot of hope for those of us that are grieving and mourning. For the gospel to be good news today... Our hope and our faith in Jesus has to matter, yeah, in the past, and yeah, in the, in the future, but also in our, in our very present, everyday, normal, right this second lives. The gospel was an event that happened a long time ago. Jesus lived and died and rose and ascended. The gospel does greatly benefit our future, if I can say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. But it also matters for every single moment of our lives today. So we've got to have a bigger view of the gospel than we get to go to heaven instead of hell. It's got to be bigger than that. 
And what's interesting is that the afterlife and eternity was hardly ever the focus of the gospel message in the New Testament. The eternity and our afterlife was hardly ever the focus of the gospel message among Jesus' first followers. So uh, N.T. Wright, who's a, a bishop and a professor in England, I picture this with a British accent, it'll sound better. But he said, if the question of what happens after one dies ever came up, the first century Christian answer might be, they're with the Messiah. They're with Jesus. But they seldom spoke about that at all. It was much more connected. The gospel, the good news, was much more connected with the kingdom of God, which is something that was happening and would ultimately happen on earth as it is in heaven. So to say it in other words, for Jesus' first followers, his life and death and resurrection and reign was good news for here and now in addition to there and eternity. Jesus' followers believed that it was this kind of news that led them to live out their identity, again, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hatred, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of division, in the midst of danger, in the midst of every kind of hardship, that there was something about Jesus being king that changed how they viewed their finances, how they viewed their enemies, how they viewed death. And because of the gospel, they saw themselves as citizens of a better kingdom and loyal to a better king than Caesar. And to truly sound like good news for us today, we've got to think and see the gospel more through that kind of lens. So put it on the screen. This is, this is a, a, a version. This is not the entirety of it, but, but the expansive first century definition of the gospel is that Jesus' perfect life and sacrificial death and miraculous resurrection and life-giving reign brings hope to every situation and all of life, both now and forever. Jesus gives hope to every situation and all of life now and forever. And it was because of this all-encompassing view of the gospel. Jesus is a better king. Jesus is a better hope. Jesus offers us a better story, yeah, forever, but also today. It's because of that that Peter could write about this different response and about the hope that's within us to people who are facing a ton of suffering. And if that sounds different than the gospel as you've been hearing it defined for a long while, if, if you or someone you know is new to church or asking questions about Jesus, this sounds different than the gospel that's often talked about, which is Jesus died so I can go to heaven. Repent so you don't go to hell. Even if this is how you think about the gospel, we all need reminders of how it applies to us in all aspects of our lives. And so I want to get practical with us and again, invite you into a little bit of conversation. Be brave. 
Even though you're masked, we have voices. If we believe that Jesus is king and that the good news matters on earth as it is in heaven, and if we believe that it's hope for a fuller life as well as an eternal life, then then we have to consider how those truths, Jesus' life and death and resurrection and reign, how, how do those offer us very real hope in some of the suffering that we talked about earlier in the midst of, yes, death, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of family crap, in the midst of sickness and fear. How, 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 how does Jesus offer us hope in those things? What are some promises of God that are true, but that we forget in moments of that? How can we rehearse some of those things together? And, and, and how can we see Jesus as the perfect example of the do's and don'ts in First Peter? Because if we say that, that what the Spirit does is leads us to, to be with Jesus and become like him and do what he did, then, then, then all of those do's and don'ts that we saw in First Peter, like Jesus perfectly modeled those for us. So I'm going to open us up for just a couple of questions. There, first one's on the screen here. How is Jesus? the perfect model of some of the do's and don'ts that we read in First Peter, even in his own suffering. So I put a few of them up here to help us a little bit, but how is Jesus the perfect model of not repaying evil for evil or not being fearful or troubled? How, how is he the perfect model of seeking unity and sympathy and love and tenderness? How, how did he perfectly model this? What comes to mind as you think of the life, death, resurrection, reign of Jesus? Any instance, any verse, anything specific? Love his enemies, mm-hmm. willing to die for them, and um, yeah, it's just uh, his patience and long suffering in yeah. the face of a lot of persecution and trouble himself. Yeah, yeah. Jesus loved his enemies to the point of being willing to die for them. That's what he said, and was patient and long suffering even among those who persecuted him. Think of the Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Verse. What else? How else did Jesus perfectly model some of these things? Even as he suffered. Even though he was God, didn't he like demand his rights to hold on to his throne and all of his power and he humbled himself and yeah. became a man. Yeah, Philippians 2, he put aside his right to the throne and became a man. Yeah. Humble himself to the point of death. Even death. Even death on a cross. I mean, of like Peter denying Jesus and then having keys to the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, Peter denying Jesus and then being restored right. and forgiven. And Not forgotten, but yeah. lifted. Yeah. Yeah, lifted and exalted. Well, and even with that, I was thinking, like, Peter, it's Peter, he was the one that, like, kept the guy's ear off, mm-hmm. and Jesus told him not to do that, you know? Yeah. And so it's, I think that that is, it makes me more powerful to look at Peter writing this, after having, like, an, an actual experience of Jesus teaching what it looks like to not respond. Yeah. With hatred. Yeah. You know? Yeah, those who live by the sword, yeah. die by the sword, and... So no, Peter. Don't attack. 
and, and we we could do this for for a while. There's there's need to rehearse things like this because these truths are the reason for the hope within us. Like we have a Savior who did all of this. Jesus perfectly embodied everything that is totally unnatural to us. It's unnatural to us all the time. It's unnatural to us in suffering. And that's what he sends his spirit to help us fulfill. In Romans 1.8, nope, Romans 8.11, excuse me, says that the same spirit of Christ, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, raised Jesus from the dead, dwells within you. And so there's this biblical promise that even in our own suffering, God is with us, God is in us, God can empower us to be with Jesus, do what he did, and become more like him. That's the reason for the hope that's within us, is we have a spirit who's helping us, and who's meeting us, and who's giving us a way to respond differently than the rest of the world. Second question, last one for tonight. What are some promises of God that give us hope in some of the suffering, death, fear, pain, uncertainty, some of the situations we mentioned? Just to get our brains thinking, maybe examples of who God is, promises he made in the Bible, works he carried out, just verses and promises that come to mind. What are some, what are some verses that are good news? Yeah. He hasn't experienced anything that we haven't. Yeah, he's a good high priest who has experienced everything and more than we ever will. There's comfort in that. He knows us. Thanks. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden. Yeah, and I'll give you rest. Spirit meets us in our weakness, comes to mind. His strength is perfect in our weakness. Anything else come to mind? Yeah. Yeah, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. What a beautiful promise. It feels like, like the most utterly helpless moment. I don't know what to say, God. And God goes, that's okay. Second Corinthians 1 tells us that all of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. And so it's in Jesus working for his kingdom. And even if it may not look like we want it to, but it's in Jesus that God says yes. Because even if, and we talked about this in the fall, we talked about prayer, even if God says no to a specific request, it's always no but. I'm not going to take the cup away from you. But through your suffering, Jesus, the world's going to be saved. So it's still a yes in Jesus. Bottom line, the sufferings of this present time. This is Romans 8. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Y'all, suffering is real. And pain is real. And it is more than okay. It is 
godly and right to call it what it is and to call it brokenness and to say this should not be. And it's okay to be sad about it and it's okay to be pissed about it. Because suffering should not be. It's a result of sin. Brokenness should not be. It's a result of sin. Pain and death should not be. They're results of sin. And it's right to be angry about things that break the heart of God. All creation, Paul says, is groaning right now and has been groaning for thousands of years under the weight of brokenness, waiting for the fullness of redemption. But there's a promise that all suffering will be gone and all pain will be gone and God will wipe away every tear from every eye and death and mourning and weeping and crying and pain will be no more. And that's a promise. It will happen. This is the reason for the hope that's within us. To close, I want to go back to 1 Peter 3 and and take communion. Because 1 Peter 3 tells us one final reason for the hope that's within us. And here's that final reason, at least for tonight, for the hope that's within us. It's that Jesus is suffering. Jesus' suffering was the best good news for our suffering. Because Jesus' own suffering and Jesus' own death promises that our suffering and our death will be temporary. Can I say that again? Jesus' suffering and Jesus' death promises that our suffering and our death will be temporary. Jesus suffered so that we can get God. And Jesus suffered so that we get restored in our relationships to God and to others and to creation. And Jesus suffered so that we get the fullness of life now and in the life to come. This is immediately after the passage we read earlier. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Jesus Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So open your bread. As we do this as the first time as a gathered church family in 2022. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Jesus, we declare you to be our hope in life and in death and in good times and in suffering because you were put to death in the flesh, but you were the first to be made alive in the Spirit. Take and eat. As we consider the juice that represents his blood, spilled for forgiveness, we say, Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood as you suffered one time for all sin to cover our unrighteousness in your righteousness and to bring us home to God. Take and drink. Father, I just want to thank you for inviting us to call suffering what it is, to call pain what it is, to call brokenness what it is. And I thank you for meeting us in it and not making us get out of it to come find you. I thank you for freeing us to grieve and for also giving us reasons for hope all by your good news, all by your gospel. Would you help us to believe this when we doubt? Would you help us to live out this truth by your spirit today and every day? Amen.
the kids come back in. Let's stand.